Hi guys, this is Denon Kemp and you're listening to Talking with TK. G'day guys, welcome to the big 150th episode of Talking with TK. I'm your host, Tristan Cannell. I'm really excited to be back for another season. We're actually up to season number four, and we've got an awesome guest today in Denim Kemp, who is also bloke in the bar and also the host of The Locker Room. I'm sure if you've been listening to my program for a little while, you've probably had a little bit of a crossover with Denim. You know, he's a great, great host on his podcast, really opens up both the past and present superstars of the NRL and some other sports as well, but he has a great way of just, he's got a very casual sort of style of really opening up their stories, and it's a big credit to him. He's got a great social media platform at the moment. I love looking at his Instagram on with his bloke in the bar. Really looking forward to hopefully going up there this year. He's got his own bar actually in Broadbeach, so if you're in the Gold Coast area, definitely check out his bar as well. So guys, if you're first time here or you haven't caught up on all the episodes, definitely check it out at the the website's pretty easy to check it out at www.talkingwithtk.com or you'll find it on any of the podcast apps, especially Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I did at the end of last year join the Diamond Tina podcast network. Some of the stable mates that are regulars on my podcast listening is Batuta Advocate, Dylan Friends and the Halfcast podcast. There's some absolute brilliant podcasts within this, and I'm very proud to be with the Diamantina boys. Definitely get in touch via email, Tristan at TalkingWithTK.com, or on the social medias, either by Facebook or Twitter. Get in touch. There's plenty. I've recorded five so far, but once you know school holidays and all that sort of stuff is done, I'll be doing a whole new batch of requests. So de- definitely get in touch with any guest requests, the ones that I have that you did give me at the end of the, the year, I am talking to those people. So hopefully get a few of those legends on the show as well. But even if you just want to have a yarn before the footy season kicks off, definitely get in touch as well. All right, guys, excited to be back. And I introduce Denon Kemp. All right, guys, my special guest today is Denim Kemp. Denim is a former professional rugby league player for the Brisbane Broncos and New Zealand Warriors. He played 42 games, scoring 22 tries and 21 goals. Away from the game, he's the host of The Locker Room, a podcast interviewing some of the finest athletes from around the world with a major focus on telling the stories of the players from the NRL. He's also the owner of Bloke in the Bar, which is located on Broadbeach in the Gold Coast. Welcome to the potty, Kempy. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Let's get into it, baby. Let's go. <laughs> Mate, I've got to admit, at work at the moment, me and the lads, like your creativity on your social media, Victor Bra, because me and Cax are like, <laughs> like, usually you just laugh and you get over it. Like, yeah. I haven't put glasses on in the actual office pretending to be Victor. The cheese at the moment, that is the one that's getting me the most. <laughs> the cheese is so good. I love the cheese. I just, but you know what it is? It's like, it's just footy. You you would have done it like okay. Let's have you played footy or anything yeah. like that or sport? Yeah, all through, all through high school. So you would have had nicknames for players you played with and 100%. like stories and personalities that have been created around those people. Yeah. All I'm doing is you know the reason why people can relate to the cheese is because they all know a cheese. Hundred percent. You know? Everyone knows a cheese. Everyone knows a Victor Bar. A larrikin loves footy. Does anything for the boys. Loves the beers. Everyone knows that. So I feel like the reason why it's 
you know resonated so well with the rugby league community is because you can project. You know, that's my mate. That's he's like Victor. I know, I understand the comedy. I understand why it's funny. Yep. Um, and so yeah, like the Gutharino as well. Oh like, mate, I, I sometimes bust it. I got my Christmas party on Friday. <laughs> yeah, got it. We've been practicing. Mate, I, I must have got the reno out. It's fantastic. How good is it? Do you like doing the cross or do you go hands above? Well, I've been seeing both. It, 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 I've been seeing it both. I, like, I think it's one of those things where I'm pretty sure it was actually a heart okay. initially. Because you, you just had Clint on recently, didn't you? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually speak to him about it, to be honest. I spoke to him about it often and he just said it was mad, but it... Maybe send him a quick text just to just get a confirmation. Well, I, I, I remember seeing, I'm, I might be a hard, but we need, it's controversial. They're very controversial. The people need to know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. So I'm going to bust this Friday night, mate. I need to. Need to know what it is. It's a love heart. The girls might think it's a. Mate, I thought it was a love heart. I, I think it is a love heart. I could be wrong. At worst, I think it's like just that. Gotcha. But in saying that, he the two that he's done, there is, it, is a slight variation, I think. It's like he's Jesus or something at times. <laughs> Mate, he's a, I, uh, he's a he's a great bloke. I like you know what I've, I love about this new generation is the when I was coming through, there were still characters, but I feel like this new generation that they're very different in this. Like, look at Ponga, he's an yeah. absolute superstar, but he's very artsy. Like, you look at his photos that he yeah, takes; he's, he has yeah. his own photography stuff. You know, back in the day, you you wouldn't couldn't do that because the boys were like, "Mate, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Pull your head in." Like going for a coffee with one of the boys was. Oh, absolutely. Five years ago was like, what are you doing? The first coffee I got asked for at the Dragons, I was like, what? You want, are we going on a date? What's, yeah. What are you talking about? Gone but now on. it's not like, I can't believe this for a coffee. Yeah, it's it's good. sweet. Yeah. Man, I remember like, fighting with myself over it. Like, this is weird. Like, coffee, we're just going to sit there and talk. Like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, what? that's bizarre. And then obviously, you know, it was, now I love coffees. Yeah, 100%. Now, the other one, the, some of my boys at... Some of my boys think they're good looking. <laughs> the they want to be part of Blade FC. Mate, the Blade FC is hilarious. Because, like, I used to... Shandorell, he did some bloke in a bar stuff ages ago. Yeah, I, I remember. Go, yeah, yeah. And I would just, like, say bloke to him, like, bloke, best looking all time, bloke, bloke. I did that for ages, and it was just between me and him, and he would love it. Like, you know, oh, come on, bruh, but he loved it. Um, and then, I don't know, like, I, I... Yeah, I did the best looking of all time football club. Yeah. And did the, like, the lists and everything like that. And it's just... It's great, because, like... The, th- the thing that, you know, people understand the humor in the sense that like, they get why it's funny, but it's actually, you got to take the piss out of the good-looking guys. Yeah, Because they're good-looking. Fuck them. Has Cam Murray came back to you? Oh, he, he laughs and that. Cam Murray's like a relatively shy He's guy. He's very shy. Yeah, yeah. So, he, he laughs about it. The boys give it to him. But yeah. like even Nick Kotrick, like the boys all give it to him. Oh, bloat, bloat. Bloody good-looking fellas, uh, bloat. Mate, yeah, great-looking I wish fellas. I looked like that. Mate, that, I always say if you're good-looking, you can't be a good bloke, though. That's bullshit. It's... If you're Cam's above an eight, guy. Yeah, yeah. if you're above an eight and you're a good bloke, there's something going on there. There's no <laughs> way. What's like Cam Murray? Good, look, extreme. Like look at Sonny Bill, extremely good looking. Yeah, extremely well off, great athlete. Cam even works at Macquarie, mate. It's in his spare time, mate. He's a. It's and he's he's an incredible like he is like even you even look at like Sonny Bill like how far he's come like he's a representation to young Polynesian boys, to any boys, any kind of mm. young boy or girl. You can look at Sonny Bill and be like, that's a, a great role model. 100 percent, man. But even him in his early years was a rat bag. He was a naughty boy, like like all of us are in it. Yeah, yeah you absolutely. look at Cam Murray, he's literally an angel, quiet boy, man, quiet private school boy. I push yep. him for that too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he's and and that's why you know people say. You know, Joey Johnson, that say he's a future captain. It, it's 100% true. He's, he's 21 years old, uh, 21 or 22, and I can't see him putting a foot wrong. Do you yeah, know what I mean? You know, you can look man. at, like, for example, I can see Victor Adley having too many beers and getting crazy. I'm worried for him, mate. He said, 
Can you imagine winning two comps oh. in your first two seasons? He's achieved everything. He, well, he's won two comps in the first two seasons, and he also won the under-20s grand final as well. Wow. So he's won three premierships. Like, boom, boom, boom. And probably it, play Origin next year. He probably will play Origin. Yeah. You know, they've got so many fucking good players in that. I mean, we could go down the rabbit, Origin rabbit hole. Fuck it, it's a deep, deep rabbit man. hole. Um, but the thing with Radley is that pe- a lot of people don't realise this, but he's actually the mould of Orbison. Yeah? And they don't actually see that like yet because... Like, you look at Orbison, he has been at that club, he's won three premierships now. Mm. One of the most well-respected players in the NRL between the players and yeah. that. And, uh, and and that's what Robinson has done so well, is he's taken, this, taken Radley and even Crichton to an extent. You know, Crichton was like a superstar yeah. that had these line breaks or whatever and taught and rounded out their games where I feel like a lot of clubs wouldn't round out Radley and Crichton's games as well as Robinson does. Yep. So, for example... Crichton this year was coming off the bench like he's one of the he's he was an he's an Origin player yeah coming off the bench young superstar and yet in the grand final I think he got through like forty tackles in you know sixty minutes or something like that it's a lot of work and I feel like Crichton twelve months ago wouldn't have done that because his game's not as rounded he's the guy that wants to make line breaks and everything like that and he so bought into the process didn't bought he? into the process and I think he's an even better player than he was you know twelve months ago even though he was more of a superstar yeah. twelve months ago and you look at Victor Radley like he's he's played nine they won they won they didn't miss a beat when he played nine when he moved back into the the back row he was an even better back row making line breaks all that kind of stuff so yeah. um, but it's a secret isn't it like people are gonna go cronky. They've got James Tedesco, they've got yep. Latrell, they've got Joseph Manu. But mm. realistically, that glue of that team is Mitchell Orbison. And you, oh, you hear his teammates talk about him like he's God. Well, you, you look at, okay, so the, the, what Wayne Bennett used to do really well is he'd have like Hodges on one side mm. and then maybe Mick DeVere on the other side or, or Brent Tate to an extent. Yep. Brent Tate spent a bit of time on the wing. But Wayne was really good at balancing his, his side. So he yeah. had all these superstars that could break the game open, but maybe they make a few errors. Maybe they could you know, drop in and out of the game. But then he had like layered through it. He had like David Stagg, Webke, Petra Sivanasiva, Brent yep. Thornley, just workhorses. And the Roosters are really good at that. And the Storm have been really good at that. They may be missing one or two big superstars in their back line yeah. that they used to have. And I they mean, tinker a little bit too much with their spine well, too. Well, yeah, right? they've just been... Got, like, this is their rebuilding phase and they're still fucking... Second. Second best yeah. team in the comp. So, um, so, yeah, like, what Roosters are really good at is they got their superstars, they mm. get them out of trouble, but then they got this core of blokes like Boyd Cordner, yep. Orbison, um, Radley, Crichton. The workers, They man. just work their asses off. So, yeah, they've got a really good balance. That's incredible. All right, Kempi, take me back to the start because you're from Goldie. Now, just doing a little bit of research, you've got a Chinese grandfather. Yeah. I know the Batuta boys gave you a little bit of shit about maybe being a wok. Uh, yeah, yeah. I look, I mean, I look fucking like a wok. Like we all, mate. So do yeah, I. Yeah. But, yeah, take me back a little bit to Gold Coast. Is your parents always from the area? Yes. Well, my mum is, my dad's from Brisbane, I think, initially. And my mum is from Melbourne, I think. Okay. But they they lived in the Gold Coast for, you know, fucking 40 years or something like that, yeah. 50 years. Um, so What area were you living up in the Goldie? Mudrabar. Okay. So we, we grew up on about five and a half acres when yeah, cool. back in the day where, you know, a person that worked a full-time job could afford Hell the yeah. house. Did you have like a little um, footy field in the back or anything? We had a soccer goals because I grew up playing soccer. Oh, your brother played soccer as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we, I grew up to playing soccer till I was 17. Yeah, that's correct. And yeah. so our dad built a soccer goals down on the, we were on five and a half acres and it's like a hill. So it wasn't like the best land, but there's this like little plateau. Anyway, my dad built some soccer goals and we, yeah, we'd go down there and play soccer against each other and that. So how, old, how much older is your brother? He's 34 now. So a couple of years older than you. 
Yeah, two, two, or, two or three years, two or three years. But he played overseas, yeah? Yeah, he was with Nottingham Forest. So, or oh, he got offered a contract with Nottingham Forest. So yeah, they're nice just under the Premier League. He was a really, really good soccer player. Incredible athlete. Essentially the same as, you know, everything that I achieved, he basically mm. achieved before me. So, like, there's even records at our little A's of us with the exact same time. So it's like D, D camp, S camp. Just dead S, heat. Dead heat, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, playing soccer, what position were both of you? What's well, basically forwards, yeah. but... I'd played, I'd played everywhere. And soccer's very... If you don't know soccer, you could be a defensive right mid. Yep. You could be an attacking right mid. So we were attacking right mids, and then I moved into the forwards. I played centre for a bit. And, um, Rate yourself, mate. Put yourself Ronaldo or something. No, fuck you know, no. Are you a left foot or not? You're a right nah, footer. Nah, right footer. That was actually one of my... Probably one of my weaknesses is I couldn't kick that well off my left foot. Okay. Um, but yeah, so... And I was more of a, an aggressive kind of ram... An aggressive kind of player, like a Rooney kind of player. Gotcha. Whereas CERN was very, very similar to like. So a know, bit of a number ten, they could drop back a little bit of mid defence, play box to box sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, just behind the forwards usually. But again, it it, it really varied in the in the, the side. But it was I was always more of an attacking player. But in saying that, like I ended up playing goalie in that. So it's fun, but hey, like yeah, yeah team soccer there. is fucking fun, man. Soccer is good, except for the fuck all the. I just remember all the ankle injuries, like getting studded in that. Like, yeah, far out, man. That was torture, but. The good thing about soccer is like you can play a game Monday and then be sweet for Tuesday, uh, be sweet for like Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah. Whereas like footy, man, you play one game like fuck in like an NRL game, or whatever, you are done till the next week. I think. Would there be fights in your area? Nah, <laughs> no, soccer. Please come on, man. No Even fight. with the testosterone, with the studying, nothing. No, no, pushing and shoving, but soccer players fight and give me a break. I mean, let, I mean, the stereotype of soccer players is a hundred percent true. Like they're way, like they're so much more. They care just about the way and they shove. look. And, no, yeah. You got, you well, they're just like, they're just more, they're just not as like masculine. Like, ah. Well, they're not. They're not as aggressive, which is um, which is a good and a bad thing. They're way more skillful, like way more skillful than, than rugby mm. league players. Like they can do what footy players can do with their feet. They can do, you know what I mean? So yeah. Okay. Just skill. I, I remember when I was making the switch to rugby league, one of the big, you know, made it easier was like this rugby league skill wise is so much easier for me you catch mm. a ball you pass like especially as an outside back like some of the outside backs have been playing in for five six years and they yep. barely struggle to pass out of dummy half whereas soccer it's not really like that everyone has to have at least this high level of skill of just skill set across the board across right? the yeah. board because it's not like you know if you're an outside a center mid might touch the ball more but not so much more that you know the back doesn't really have to know how to pass a ball off the ground like a, you know yeah. whereas like a winger some of them have been playing for five six years and they still struggle I mean I still struggle but obviously I didn't play footy my whole life but you understand what I'm saying yeah Any is that from training you reckon because they just pigeonhole you and only to knowing a certain skill set sort of thing I just think that rugby league is so physically demanding yeah um, that like so for example when I came to rugby league and they're like, oh, we got fitness. I was like, what do you mean we got fitness? Like, yeah. wouldn't we just play footy to get fitness? Whereas soccer, when I was coming through, every every session was fitness, but it was in a game form. Yep, gotcha. And so, whereas like rugby league, like they're like, this is specifically fitness. There's no ball involved. Rugby league, you've essentially got to be, you've got to put all this muscle mass on, but mm. still be incredibly good at repeat efforts. Whereas soccer, you don't need all that muscle mass at all. Therefore, you can run, you know. 10Ks. Oh, yeah. AFL as well. They don't need as much muscle mass. So it's much easier for them to run these. Whereas like rugby league, you need to have long distance fitness. Mm. You also need to have wrestling fitness. You need to have short explosive fitness. <laughs> yep. um, you need to have deal with the contact on the body. So all that kind of stuff, you need to be heavy to be able to break through the contact. Yep. So I think that it's so much fit, more physically 
demanding on creating a specific body type rugby league that you may not have time to focus as much on the skill set. Whereas like soccer, you never, I mean, you should, but you don't even have to do a weight in your life. You could just, just purely focus on ball skills. Well, and look running. at some of the professional players. Some yeah. of them look like they don't. Well, they don't need to. Yeah. Like, why would you? Be, be as fast as you can. Yeah. All the weights that you do would just be body weight and explosive explosive stuff. Yeah, plyometric um, stuff. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So just be as skillful as possible. And, and yeah, so I think that's the reason why there is a slight difference with rugby league and the, the, the level of skill. And also, like, halves and fullbacks, especially halves and hookers, they're so dominant in yeah. games. Yeah, um, like some forwards, they'd literally just catch a ball and hit it up. You know, yeah. whereas you could be a, a centre back in in soccer, you still need to, have to know how to hit that right mid. Yeah, you need to control from the back. Ball, yeah, you know, like this pass back to the goalie, pass to your right, pass to your centre. You need to yeah. do all that stuff. So under pressure too, with people just yeah. coming straight man on on you. Yeah. Now, Kempi, tell me because it was a little bit of an accident. You've spoken briefly about you switching to league, so it, yep. was, it was a carnival that you were at, and the Broncos spotted you. Yeah, so. I actually had, so I'd grown up with like the same group of mates my whole like childhood in the sense that we went to grade one together and then we all went to grade 12 together. Mm. And so they had seen, like when we mucked around, they knew that I was in, like a really good athlete. So I'd won yeah. nationals for things, I'd won Queensland for sprinting, made all the soccer teams growing up. Like there wasn't anything that I didn't excel at uh, sports wise. And so they kind of, they just knew that I was good at sports. So that, I think it was like grade five or something, we went away and we just... We just played footy for school or whatever, mm. and they saw how well I went. And then every now and then we would muck around just in anything physical, whether it be touch footy. Mm. But soccer and, and athletics was like my absolute focus. Like yeah. this is not a footy school or anything. This is just more like I'm sure you played badminton, but you would play, <laughs> yeah, yeah. put it this way: I played way more badminton growing up than I did rugby league. <laughs> badminton was a, a, a um, it's eye coordination sort of. Thing well, no, well, but at school it was a, it was like a subject, sports, like a, a subject, like as in we did a lot of it to do HPE, really like test us throughout okay. the years, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like it was like that, like every now and then I just play a bit of footy. Anyway, so I got to year twelve and I had nationals for soccer in like three or four weeks, and they were like, "Oh, come on!" But the year before they like begged me to come to mm. confraternity, and I was like, "Oh, think about it, think about it." And then I was just like, nah, nah, I'm just not going to come. So I brushed it. Yeah. And what's funny is I was with my like my my first girlfriend like when I was like 15, <laughs> and I told them that I was away or something. Yeah. And and the confraternity was on the Gold Coast. That's where we were from. So I could have like just rocked up and just done it, but I just had no interest in it. Yeah. And I was actually going to get ice cream with her, and the bus drove past and saw us together, and they're oh, like, "Can't be your dog, my dog." Like <laughs> I said, you're away. You couldn't play with us. So that's how much I wasn't interested in rugby league. Like it just didn't interest me. I had so, I was so focused on. I was in with Queensland. You're just getting hectic like the cheese. Yeah, hundred percent, bro, hundred percent. And so I, um, yeah, like I, I was so fo- I was with Queensland Raw, and that was the best side in Queensland at the time. They were called Brisbane Lions at the time. They was that like name. just under the A League or something? Or? Well, yeah, well, the A League hadn't come in yet. Oh, okay, gotcha. So, so they were yeah, the yeah. best team in the Queensland. We'd won the comp the year before. I was in reserve grades at that point. I was only fifteen, so like I was in the Queensland side. They I'd played Ballymore and stuff too. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. this was that they were the best. Yeah. Um. So that was the pathway I was going to go. So there was no thought of you know. It's like asking a footy player that's you know in the Broncos development system. Yeah. Want to come play in a soccer tournament? They'd be like, are "You take what are you, what? Doing? What are you talking yeah. about?" Yeah, so it's just it's different. Rugby union and league are relatively similar. Yeah, but soccer and it's a huge switch, man. Yeah, like well, it's just like they're not even in the same world. And so yeah, I just didn't have any interest. And eventually, so the next year came around, and I played a few like games mucking around, and they did it again. They're like, "Oh, come on, bro, fuck come," because like we were a nothing school in the B yeah. comp. We're not in an A comp. We don't have rugby league as a, as a thing. So they. You know, wanted to do well. They wanted me to mm. play for them because I would help them win or whatever. 
Anyway, so yeah, they, they said, please come. Laura. And I was like, look, I'd love to, but I've got national soccer in two to three weeks. I can't afford to get injured. Yeah. And they were like, fuck. And they kept it. And anyway, the school, I think, ended up raising enough money to, to take me. And so I was like, all right, fuck, fuck it. I'll do it. And so. Where did um, you say it was? To, sorry, so where, where was it? <coughs> Confraternity. Yeah, the, the camp, like where they were raising money for you to go. Where, where were they ta- sending you? Oh, so like we had to go up to, I think it was like towns or something. Gotcha. And most of the yeah. boys had to pay their own way. Uh, and so I think the school got enough and enough money together to because I had to pay for nationals for soccer, mate. And I'm, yeah. like, I'm not paying for both for yeah. no reason. Of course not. Anyway, so they raised it, and I was like, "All right, sweet, whatever. I'll go get a week off school or whatever." Um, I think it was up in Townsville or Cairns, it was somewhere. I think Townsville. Um, and yeah, so I went, and and after the first day, no, before I went, most of my mates said, "Mate, like you're good, but you're not." Uh, as good as the, you know, Darius Boyd, yeah, Stevie yeah. Michaels, the guys that are making Australian side. Like you're good with just us, but you yeah. know nothing's going to happen. And my other mate, that's a massive diehard Broncos fan, his name's mm. Adam Spees. He said, "Mate, if you come, I promise you the Broncos will scout you." Because we and he'd be my best. He was my first best mate when we were in grade one. We grew apart a bit because he was like very. He he loved sport but wasn't as good at it, so there yeah. was a lot of like jealousy there. So we well, actually a got a lot of punch ons. Bullied you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, but he in grade one, he was one of my first best mates. But yeah, so we had known he had known and seen everything that I'd achieved in that yep. period, and so he just said, "Mate, I promise you that the Broncos will scout you if you go." Which is a huge call, like oh. Broncos are the biggest club at the time. One hundred percent. This is two thousand three. They still are. Yeah. They're the only team that's publicly listed. Yeah, they're the biggest club in Australia. Yeah, and so and at this time they were the biggest brand in Australia. Period. Sporting brand. Yeah, and Collingwood. All that. Anyway, so yeah, he just said they'll. they'll I guarantee they'll scout you, yeah. which is crazy. Don't play rugby league. Play soccer. This is this is. But this is just how well he knew me and knew what I was capable. Yeah, and I was like, all right, whatever. And the rest of the boys said, nah, definitely not going to happen. <laughs> and they, they've all apologised for it. Have the boys all rocked up to the bar? Like uh, most of them, yeah, yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, which is really nice. Anyway, so we went away to the confraternity. I think it was after the first game. I scored like I don't know five tries or something like that. And they, um, one of the guys, the coaches said, come up to me and said, "Oh, what would you do if like someone was interested in like an NRL club or whatever, like the Eels or something?" Yeah, yeah. And I was just like, I don't know, I don't know. What are you talking about? Like, I don't care. I'm a soccer player. And so yeah, we played the whole tournament and. You know, I scored the most tries in the tournament, whatever, like some, some stupid amount. I think one game I scored like six tries or something, like it was B-Com. Yeah. But were you just putting the ball down or were you actually doing like Oh, doing runs? everything. But I was like, again, I was one of the fastest people in the state, if not country, but also yeah. one of the fittest as well. So I'd like, I'd won Queensland for like 100, 200, 400, 800 cross country. What could you run? Um, what do you mean? In, what? in like seconds? In, in oh, 100 in and 200? Yeah. So 100 was 10, 7 in grade 11, I think. That's fast, man. And... um. And the 800, I, I ended up like, when I was, I think I was like 10 or something, I was running like 224, but that was, fuck, I mean, so long ago. But the sprinting was more, that's what I focused on later as in like did. Yeah. So year, I think it was year 11, around 10.7, around 10.7 in a heat. And so that automatically qualified me for state. And then I woke up the next day, I was like, man, fuck, I'm not going, fuck it. <laughs> and so I just didn't turn up to the final and just didn't go to states. So anyway, that was, that was my last race. I never raced again after that. Holy shit. Because I just knew I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Now back to you know we're speaking speak briefly about you being bullying. How did that kind of affect you being at school? And then like, did that give you extra motivation to try and do something? I think without sport, it would have. I would have been. I don't know what I would have done. Would have been pretty bad to be Mm. honest. But because I had sport, there was always a confidence in me that like you know they may bully me. I have no friends or whatever. But um, this is what I'm extremely good at. This is what I can do better than anyone. So. 
yeah, and it just gave me that self-confidence. And I always kind of was brought up like if you be nice enough to someone, eventually they'll be good to you. Totally wrong. Yeah. That's not true. <laughs> um, not always. No, no, you kind no. of had like a bit of a reverse bullying sort of thing happening. Like usually bullies pick on the little kid or someone that's not good at something. Yeah, well, this was this was more like we would be good mates yeah. and then I'd go away for something for you know, soccer, running, whatever, I'd come back and all of a sudden everyone's off me. So jealousy that you, you're yeah, excited achieving I, I think it was more just like there may have been one or two that were jealous yeah. and then it was herd mentality, you know, that he was an influential Especially guy. at that age, man. Yeah, so he was, you know, an influential guy. And don't get me wrong, like, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was this perfect angel that was sitting there going, like, I was confident, mm. you know, cocky, you know, not in a bring someone else down way, but I was extremely confident in what I, like, There was, I just had a very, un yielding confidence in myself and that rubs young men off the wrong way especially in Australia hectic cheese mate no, see what happened in yeah, New Zealand camp yeah, exactly they got good too handling. hectic they good couldn't handling. Good handling. Um yeah so I mean again sport was always it just gave me that confidence in myself that doesn't matter what you say the results mm. are the results like I have results here in sport that are in undeniable so you may be able to bring me down in certain other areas of my life but here is where I'm these undeniable like yeah. you can't deny that and so would you tell your parents that like your little goals or anything like that no nah, no nah, not really it was from four or five years old i was always you've got to be, we were just one that was mm. just it. it wasn't you've got to be the best but my dad was always like we we give you every opportunity you yeah. got to take every opportunity so it was always just an expectation that we would win or or come close to winning but we we very rarely got beaten growing up me and me and my brother especially um but we were just dedicated. Every, my whole life was dedicated to sport. Whether it, I mean, people don't understand. Like they think, oh, whole life. You're like ten years old. What are you talking about? Mm. But what they don't realise is that, like Monday, you know, when I'm 14, 15, and other kids are going out and enjoying themselves and just getting up to no good as a 14, 15 year old would do. You know, I'm I'm at home because I got a game the next day. Yeah. And and the whole week I'm thinking about playing the best I can play. Yeah. Um, That's a lot of pressure on on a young kid. Yeah, yeah, it is. But you know what? I feel like. But it's fun. At least you had something to preoccupy yourself. You know? Yeah, but also like I feel like this whole new wave of like don't put pressure on anyone and mm. like you know yeah, that's where excellence comes is, is pressure. So I just don't understand this whole this you, notion that we've we've created this environment where you can't feel negative feelings or your day is shit. Yeah, your day can be shit. Yep. Your week can be shit. Your year can be shit. But it's how you get through that and and achieve the goal you need to achieve. Mm. Whereas this this generation is like you're not you're not allowed to feel any bad feelings whatsoever at any point in time. Well, you can't go in the deep end, essentially, right? Yeah, well, you can't. That's, That's when you learn the best lessons. Did you think Steve Jobs was going? Oh, I don't feel pressure. I don't want to feel anything bad. The kind of was a maniac, up and down, up and down. And he lost his down. company. Like lost, that's what I mean. And so, like all these people that are extremely successful have felt the depths of the depths. They didn't yeah. just go like a zombie through life. Or some people that way. You know? Yeah, but. It's crazy, man. That that never happens. No, this not doesn't at all. Happen. Never, never happens. Because if it does happen, guess where it started? Fucking down here. Um, but once, sometimes I feel that once you get put down into that low area, like when it happens again, mm. you just know it's like being, you know, not like it's like a muscle memory. You know what I mean? Like you're able to bounce back a lot easier because you've been through that experience before. Mm. I'm not sure how when you're lower times, how have you kind of bounced? Well, back? you just you develop a scar tissue in the sense that like I, I don't feel that you know. A lot of people say whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I kind of disagree with that in the sense that you just feel less because you know it's not as bad as what you think. It's you know, resilience, sort of. 
at the end of the day. Well, like, for example, your first breakup. It's like, oh, no, my the God. The she's the best. world's ending. And then I'll you realise... I'll find a girl like yeah. this again. And then you're just like, she was, like, pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, and then you realise, like, it really wasn't that bad. And, and the world doesn't end and it just keeps spinning. Just got to keep turning up, keep turning up. And so, yeah, I just think that you got, like... Anyone that's successful, they will tell you the craziest story. Yeah, there's. It, I have never met anyone that has made any lasting impact that has sat there and said, "No, no, I was I was pretty good." Like, mm. no, no, they'll tell you stories of like, "I was fucking broke. I had this. Yep. I had that. Um, Couldn't get a job for two years. Yeah. No one gave me a crack for five. And I just think that a lot of the time, success comes from just outlasting people that wouldn't. Mm. You know, so for example, let's say a bad thing happens in your life, like I don't know your missus takes everything, or your, your husband takes everything, or whatever. Some people, they get through it by just numbing themselves with the rest of their life. You know, they yeah. go home, they get, get coddled. We have so much things to distract us today. Mm. For example, like a lot of people, and there's nothing wrong with this. It's If you want to live that way, that's fucking sweet. You could have a great family and you're yeah. at home all the time. But like some people, they work nine to five, they get home and their reward is Netflix. They watch their TV series. They're comfortable doing it. They're comfortable yeah. doing it, which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But mm. that does have a tendency to numb you. In 10 years, you're sitting there going, fuck, what have I done? I've watched Netflix. I've watched Netflix. Yeah, and, man. And, and all my best years are behind me and I've got these kids and blah, blah, blah. Like, whereas I feel like, you know, 15 years ago or 20 years ago not to say that it was better but you didn't have these distractions yeah you got home and you either you had worked you worked longer you spent more time with your partner yeah or, or you went and got pissed at the pub whatever it was but there wasn't as many distractions whereas I feel like it's a never and I'm guilty of it too you know just getting distracted getting distracted I'm not saying you need have to have a fucking- look at dating apps man dating oh, apps man. has made people you know we are talking before about conversations that yep. you have I'm telling you, people on dating apps have the weirdest conversational style. Yeah. I mean? And I can tell who's on a dating app and who's not now because yeah. everyone's trying to text, text, text. And they don't see how me and you are kind of going back and forth with body mm. language and just yeah. having a yarn. You know what yeah. I mean? Two of the boys. Yeah. Which is great because then we get to know each other. Yeah, absolutely. And build a relationship. Absolutely. You can't build a relationship on text, man. Oh, well, that's the thing that like a lot of people, you know, you go like a step further than that is that. There is this bizarre thing. When I read something, I take the information in, but I'm actually missing at least 50% mm. of the message. We developed over millions of years as monkeys and you know, then obviously evolved into to humans the last 250,000 years. Yeah. So when you say something to me, I'm going to take it in that way that however I can take... Like if you say something to me in person, mm. I get the whole thing. This so you is, see how it reacts, smiling, yeah. eyes. All these subtle things that yeah. I don't even know that are happening. Yeah. I, like, all these subconscious things that are that are built into me. There's pheromones in the air. There's yeah. there's lighting. There's there's temperature. All of these things that we evolved over hundreds of thousands of years. Now you send me a text. I've got to make that up myself. Yeah, 100%. I've man. got to make that up myself because I don't know. Cause, but I'm still getting the same information. You know, Meet me here. Some you, people are short. Some people are long on their texts. Exactly. So, for example, it's kind of like when you're dealing with trolls online. Like, you might get fucking 100 positive comments and then one guy says, no, oh, that was shit. And yeah. it eats you. Eats you for ages too, eh, Because, man? but the thing, the reason why it eats you is because if that person, he would never say it in real life because he doesn't have that physical interaction with yeah, you. Yeah, Because right. he, he doesn't have to see that you're a human being and you don't have to see he's a human being. And it has nothing to do with, oh, he'd never say because I bash him. It has more to do with, like, some 
people never will say a lot of the negative things and even the positive things. Like yeah. sometimes it is much easier to write a letter or message someone, you know, I, I love you, mate, or I hope mm. you're okay. Whereas like you're sitting next to your best mate, that you, you know, you have beers with or whatever, to sit there and go, mate, I fucking love, love you. <laughs> Unless you're pissed, <laughs> you're right, man. It's, it's hard. And so these are yeah. these, like deep emotions, that these deep, um, like for example, this is shit or that's shit, this aggressive thing. You would never say that in real life because it's so... It's so extreme. And so, like, I feel like on the internet, we, we're getting these extreme messages yeah. and we're taking it the way that you would take it if you said it to my face. Because if you said it to my face, you're, you're trying to be extremely disrespectful to me. 100%, man. And so, yeah, I feel like the internet, it's, it, 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 we have to get used to it because it's just the way it is. It's only going to get bigger too. But I think that the best way to be do that, and it's, it's bizarre that I say this because emojis are seen as, you know, these childish things, but... Mm. Emojis are really good. It's kind of like you know hieroglyphs or whatever. You know, it like kind of breaks the ice a little bit, man. Well, it gives you it gives you context. You know, if I send you, meet me here, smiley face. That's very different to meet me here, full stop. Yeah, the same thing is if I send you f you, but with like laugh, laugh, exactly. laugh. Exactly, and that's so. It's like I feel like we will develop. It, it's going to be there's going to be growing pains, but eventually we'll become so good at that language that. It'll be relatively complicated in the sense that, you know, you'll have to add a little bit to give the whole context of what is being said. But I feel like that's the way we'll evolve into being able to exchange information or conversations without the physical yeah. interaction because there'll be like a whole new language of like, okay, here's the words. Now, here's what my body language would be saying if I said those words in person. Mm. And that's going to take time. That's just a language that will evolve over time. But For sure, man. That was yeah. a great chat. But back to the Broncos, <laughs> obviously. Back to sport. Back to sport, how the Broncos... It was Ivan Henjak that you see the one that invited you over. Yeah, so I won the player with the most potential award, and what was funny was I was so sick. I'd got like I think I had like chickenpox or something. The first time I'd ever got in my life, really sick as anything. Um, and so I didn't care. And at this time, at this point, you didn't, you weren't allowed to speak to any other clubs if you were signed with someone. Yeah. So I got the award, and, he, and I remember him saying to me like, "Look, if you're with another club, sorry for talking to you. This is the award. We'd love you to come to development camp." Hmm. And I just was just, as I said, I was so sick, man, in Townsville, I think it was. And I was just like, yep, whatever, whatever. Because I didn't care. I had nationals, like, again, I can try to explain it to you, but, like, I got nationals for soccer in yeah. two weeks' time. That is my sport. This is just, I'm mucking around with Your the boys. Your little hobby on the side. It means yeah, nothing. Yeah. Even if it is the Broncos, it just meant nothing. It was just like, whatever. Anyway, so I got home. They said, oh, and I told my parents, like, oh, they want me to go to some development camp. I don't know what it is. I didn't even know. I didn't, it wasn't even going to go. I was just like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. My dad ended up ringing the Broncos and asked to speak to Wayne. And they, they somehow put him through. Um, I think he must have said my son got an award or something like that. Anyway, my dad said, look, my son doesn't play rugby league. Like, he's a soccer player. He's got nationals in two weeks. So we don't understand the systems that you're talking about when you say development squads, hmm. rock up to this, rock up to that. Anyway, so he was like, oh, really? Wow, okay. Wayne's voice. Oh, really? Wayne, Did he know who Wayne was? Yeah, everyone knows who yeah, Wayne, yeah. Wayne is. So your dad was Wayne. like full in the footy in that well, No, no, he wasn't in the footy. We didn't watch footy at all at home. But like, still, just the aura of Wayne Bennett sort of Or thing. you just knew Wayne. Like It's like everyone knows Darren Lockyer, but you don't have to watch footy to know Darren Lockyer. Yeah, like, my missus knows Darren Lockyer. She just doesn't splashed know on the media. Yeah, exactly. Sort of so yeah, yeah. the only memory I've watched rugby, like I'm telling you, I did not watch rugby league. Period. Put it this way: I played my debut. I didn't even know what the numbers were in the forward pack <laughs> when I was. It made wow. my debut. I had nothing to do with footy. Footy was a totally different world to me. The only time I watched it was at my granddad's knee, and it was actually a huge reason why I watched it. So my granddad's knee, who was a huge Broncos fan, he passed away years before I got this opportunity. Or about about a year, sorry. Yeah. And um, I was at his knee watching Steve Renoff, and Steve Renoff was his favorite player. And I and making the decision because when I did make the decision. Um, because what I, basically, long story short, they said, oh, he doesn't play rugby league. Mm. Then um, 
they rang me back and said, we want you to come to our... So, there's a development camp and that's just like maybes. Like, yeah. you, usually it's just... It's more just like a community thing. Like so, kids, kids around the state, they've just pulled Yeah, development. Where, and then there's elite, an elite camp and this is like their best young kids coming mm. through that they may, you know, may play under 19s, not even the first grade squad. Yeah. And they're like, we want you to... They, the development camp was at the end of the year. This was in a few weeks. They said, we want you to come to this camp as soon as possible. I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Went to the camp um, and actually, Ivan Hedjek said something that that i never forget. He said, bad habits are like a good bed, easy to get into, hard to get out of. And I was just like, and that stuck with me fucking for the rest of my life. Anyway, he said that at the camp. Anyway, so we went to the camp and like, I didn't know how to tackle, didn't know anything, but I was just, I just fucking competed on everything. It was your edge, wasn't it? Your competitiveness. Well, yeah, just competitiveness, quick, obviously being really quick was, um, my footwork was good because mm. of soccer and I was lighter. Anyway, yeah, so at the end of the camp, they sat me down and they were just basically like, look, we would love you to come and train with our under-19 side. Yeah. And I was like, um, oh, okay, well, I'm kind of with quick. And the, the A-League was coming in the next year, and I was with the Raw. So I was 17 or 16 even. Yeah. 17 or 16 in the Queensland Raw's reserve grade side. So, like, it's like it's like a 16-year-old being in Queensland Cup. Yeah, got you. you know? So, like, yeah. best of the best are in that squad. If I'm in that squad, like, I'm doing all right. So I went back to the Raw, and I was like, the Broncos are interested in me. And they were like, what? What are you talking about? Where they come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I was like, "Look, what do you think? What, what do you guys think?" They said, "Look, if you stay, you'll play A League within the next year or two, um, but it's you know it's up to you. You know, it's what you want to do." And I was like, "Okay, sweet." And so, as that was happening, my I'm pretty sure my school teacher knew people um, at in the AFL community. Yeah, and so somehow the AFL found out about a kid that had won nationals and stayed and everything like that. It's kind of like it's like Tom Travojevic, like not not saying I'm like him, but what I am saying is that if <laughs> there is, bruh. yeah, Tommy bruh. If there is a kid that excels at everything, yeah. the sports know about it. The different sports know about it. Anyway, so yeah, AFL found out about it. I had a meeting at Broadbeach actually, just up from where my bar is, and they sat me but down with the Lions, with the Lions, yeah. Holy shit! <laughs> Keep going. And so yes, had a meeting with the Lions, and basically they said to me, "Look, we we want to." essentially train you full-time one-on-one for the next six months and fast-track you to the draft. And so, yeah, my decision was basically AFL, soccer or rugby league. And it was tough because my dad, I knew, loved AFL. And he did love the Lions as well. Okay. And so... What did he say when you when he found out the lines were after you? Stoked, but he's really good at like didn't put any pressure on me. But That's I just knew, yeah, 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 really good at put, not putting pressure on me. Um, but he still says to this day, he's like, mate, you would have made a great midfielder. Like you would have made a great midfielder. anyway. And so yeah, the decision was basically soccer, rugby league, whatever. And I just I remember my my father who would my grandfather would pass away before yeah. massive Broncos fan. Um, but I just thought like AFL way steeper learning curve than rugby league. This is like a LeBron James decision, mate. It, well, it, I didn't realize how big it. I mean, I did and I didn't. It kind of is because Grandpa Bronx, Dad AFL. You love football. Yeah, mate, it's just things just yeah, oh, you from it's, everywhere. Well, bro. I didn't. I just didn't realize how big it was at the time. As I said, like I in my head, I was so confident that I was just an athlete. Like this is what I am. Of course, I've got these decisions. You know. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so. I, I thought about it and my granddad had a big play in it and I just you know remember I know I knew that he would if he was still around would be stoked as for if I ever put on that jersey I thought the learning curve for rugby league was much smaller and I also Broncos were the biggest sporting franchise in the country mm. period like statistically everything bigger than any AFL this is at this time so this is yeah, 2004 man. 2005 yep. they won the comp 2006 mm. the, their team was full of Australian you know reps and so yeah I chose the Broncos and um 
And basically, the, I think it was the first day I rocked up, they're like, oh, we don't want you with our 19s, we want you with our reserve grade. First day? The first day I rocked up, want you with our reserve grade um, squad, the Clydesdales. What, what was your contract? $4,000. Did you get it like a trackie or something? Oh, yeah, they gave you all the gear. All the yeah, gear, All the gear and boots. that. Um, did you get Nikes? Like those yeah, oh, yeah. Come Hunt ones? Remember those Come Hunt ones with yeah, the white, got, with the red? We got all of that, all of that. Um, yeah. You would have thought you were a legend. Oh, it was just, well, yeah, it was sick. Like, well, don't get me wrong, it was sick, but it was kind of just a natural progression. Yeah. Again, like if you've, if you're an athlete that has progressed naturally through the ranks in the sense that you've always been at the Nationals and stuff like that, you've been given Queensland gear, you've been yep. given all that stuff. So you kind of like, okay, this is... The Nike thing is the most impressive thing. You're like, this is Nike. Far out. How good is that? 100%, mate. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, rocked up. And they're like, we want you with our reserve grade. And I was like, holy shit. Like, okay, sweet. And I remember my, like, it was like my first or second session we had tackling on the pads. And it's like a diamond. Yeah. And I did... And before that, about a week before I went, I had an old sprinting coach that loved rugby league. This is how little people I knew in the rugby league community. I had no one to call and say, can you teach me how to tackle? In the rugby league yeah. community. The only person I knew that watched rugby league was my old sprint coach okay. when I was younger. What was his name? Um, his name was Ken Stevens. Okay. And so he, he's like, yeah, sweet. Come down to Pizzy Park on the Gold Coast, which is an athletics tra- uh, track. And so we brought my brother down, my older brother, soccer player. <laughs> and he was teaching me how to tackle, tackle that. Your brother. Yeah, and I was tackling my brother just on the grass. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. pads, nothing. On a, on a uh, running track. It's not on a, even on a footy field. <laughs> On a running track because I didn't know how to tackle. Yeah. So I rocked up to the and, and the stupid thing about this is it was pointless because my brother was like friggin' seventy five kilos, not a footy player. So like that, comparing that to tackling actual the best footy players in the country at that age because yeah. you go to the Broncos and the reserve grade there it's full of ex NRL players or NRL players and the best young guys coming through and they've been doing it since they're six years exactly, old exactly exactly and so we did tackling the pads with the diamonds I did two tackles had to stop because I had nothing there I'd never tackled before so my shoulders were like cramping and I no traps no shoulders nothing no shoulders I could run all day though like fitness was nothing to me because yep. I was when I rocked up I was 72 kilos and so fitness was just like just screaming through it mm. that was what I did like well um did the tackling, had to stop after two tackles and pull aside. And the next day, I could barely move my neck. <laughs> and the first preseason, they put like 13 kilos on me. Yeah. And like just weights, protein. About, so I, was, I went from 72 to like 85 or something like that in the preseason. So it was about 12 weeks, maybe even less. Those mass gainers, you would have been eating anything you want, well, yeah? I, I, was, I was still eating relatively healthy, but basically eating anything I want because we're training so hard. Yeah. But yeah, got to about 80, I think it was like 85 kilos and then dropped back down to about 82 when the season started because you lose weight with all the contact and that. Yep. Um, but yeah, that first preseason was crazy. Like even, even so we had this like circle of players at the start and there was all the under 19 guys that were training with in the reserve grade side. Yeah. This was like all that these guys had made Queensland, they played in the, like, these were the, the guns, except for maybe like one or two that was straight into the NRL squad. But even that, there was like only one. The rest of them were like the guns of the guns. Yeah. And the reserve grade coach, Don Dixon, was going through the circle going, you're you're ready to play reserve grade this year. You're ready to play reserve grade this year. You're ready. And he went through every single one. There was like 15 of them. He got to me and he's like, you're not ready to play reserve grade. What, to your face? Yeah, just, just saying, like basically like, he was saying to them, you're ready, but yeah. you need to work your ass off. Gotcha. He was saying to me like, Mate, like, you don't even know how to tackle, like, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so out of all of those boys, all those boys, they all played under-19s, they made the grand final and everything. I was the only one to play reserve grade that year. Played seven games, seven tries, and got caught into the first grade squad that, that same season. Holy shit. Um, hey, was that old-school trainer, that Dan Baker? Was he the trainer then? He's so good, man. Yeah, Dan Baker. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. I've, I've had some good trainers. Like, footy, 
I feel trainers like that and footy trainers are different in the sense of like mm. a footy as a coach, he's like a coach. But when you come to like trainer, man, I haven't had anyone better than that bloke. He knew everything yeah. about everything, and he's just constantly he would rock up, and his energy would be there. And he well, that's a big thing as a coach, man. The energy you portray is always going to oh man, get he, out of people. I really like. I enjoyed my conversations with him. Mm. He was an intelligent like. He's so, um, what's the word? Not inconspicuous, but you would never expect a guy that looks like him to be as intelligent as he was. He was yeah. like fucking, man, he was just so smart. He knew everything about everything. It wasn't until later I found out he'd written fucking books. Yeah, and, man. You know, he does all the strength and conditioning stuff here, like all the courses, all that sort of stuff as well, mate, man. Incredible. Great bloke. Always had time for you. Always had time to give you knowledge. Yeah. Would so he was, help you even if you were in the, the juniors or the reserve grade? Um, he wasn't at our training because we were at a different spot then. Maybe he does now. I, I was in... Maybe he did later on. Yeah. But it was just first grade. But the first grade thing was a full-time thing because he was... This was before iPads and that. He was writing down everything. Yeah, for sure. He would, he would literally sit down before... Every session you'd walk in and he'd have your percentages of what you need to increase in that for 30 players. So he would cover everything for us, the protein. Um, but yeah, it's hard to explain. Like there's teachers and then there's teachers. And he yeah. was someone that really impacted me in the sense that like I still remember my the feeling I had when I would talk to him was always a feeling of wonder. You yeah, know, like... Well, you're learning, right? I'm learning. He's teaching me something, but he's doing it in an interesting way. Yeah. You know, he would tell us about grips and how monkeys grip certain things this way, and this is why we grip this way. And, you know, he he wouldn't just say, go do that weight. He would tell us why we would do that weight, you know. He would tell us the reasons why we would need to explode off our chest and rah-rah. So, he was, you know, I I just have a fond memory of, of Dan Baker. He was incredible. Really, really incredible. Petro actually told me a story about him nearly dying in some run. Were you, was he at the club when you were at the yeah, club? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played with Petro. He was one of the first people I ever met at the Broncos. Nicest man I've room. ever met in my life, I reckon. That's what I was about to say. So I walked into this room and this, this I was rattled because like a lot of people when you come into first grade yeah. or into a club, you've come through the system. So you may have met them on a development day yeah. and or you know like, okay, that guy used to play for this school. So we're kind of mates. We've played in reps games together. Yeah. I was coming in. I didn't know anyone. And I was 71 kilos, skinny as anything. <laughs> and the thing is, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm 5 foot 11, 181 centimeters. So like I'm not tall, but yeah. 71 kilos for my height, that's really fucking light. Yeah, 100. Yeah. And so he was the first guy I met. I walked into this room and it was him and Wayne standing there. And I was just like, holy shit. And then he, I remember him saying, oh, he goes all right, doesn't he, Wayne? And Wayne's like, yeah, he goes all right. Put a bit, bit, of more, bit more weight on him and he'll, he'll go all right. <laughs> and uh, Petro was like, yeah, mate, you go all right. You just got to work hard, rah, rah. And the conversation was just like, he's this gentle giant. And I remember just, because I, I still had the stereotype of footy players of like, these guys are maniacs. Because you've got to remember, all I had, I didn't watch footy. All I had was basically this, you know, this bizarre, like, whatever the media had said and what had people yeah. had said, like these were these big, hulking, macho fellas, macho yeah, fellas yeah. kind of thing. So he was, yeah, good good person to meet first, that's for sure. 100%. Now, your debut, your debut's at Brookie. It's actually funny. Like sometimes you go on Wikipedia and that just for a bit of a laugh. Yeah. Your Wikipedia, because you did score that length of field try. Have you seen what they've written on there now? Oh, it changes. I get a screenshot to me all the time. I don't know what it it's is. It's got now. gooseys on it. 75 <laughs> metres full of gooseys. Is that what it says yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I fucking I love that shit that like people do that like I it's love the best, mate. oh mate it's fucking great like how cool is it? some t- like took the time and he's a- also looking at your social so he's a follower yes what I mean uh- like he took the time to go to that to write a joke that most people won't even fucking see 
You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he did it and then posted it and be like, hey, everyone, look at what I did. It's just this little <laughs> subtle joke that's just going to sit there yeah. and people will be going through my wi- uh, my wiki and they'll be like, what the, 75 metres worth of gooseies? But it's like, yeah, it's I laugh for ages, man. But you know the most impressive thing is that Darius bought actually what played in the centres that day. So they had the confidence to put you at fullback instead of putting... Like, Darius is an absolute stud. They hadn't seen you in first grade yet. Yeah, well, so... It was interesting. So in defence, I was fullback, but we actually swapped in attack. In attack, yeah. He would come. Um, he would play fullback to ball play because he didn't have confidence in my ball playing ability. Obviously, I didn't fucking know how to pass <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, that was. I mean, how old are you at this stage? I think I was like nineteen. Holy shit! That's man. that's what I mean. Like this is this is a huge regret for me in the sense that like I was so impatient. Like, I look like if I'm a 19 year old making my debut, I would have been like 19 just about to turn 20. If I'm a 19 year old making my debut, I'm a gun yeah. today. Today's day and age. You know, if a 19 year old's making his debut at fullback for the Brisbane Broncos that won the comp the year before, this guy is something, you know, special. But yeah. at the time, I didn't realize that. I just assumed, like, I was wigging out thinking it was too late. I'd seen Darius debut the year before, and I thought yeah. that I was just as, you know, I thought I had just as much to offer as him. And yeah, I think I was 18th man the year before. Mm. Um, and so, I regret that I wasn't. I didn't appreciate how far I'd come. Because, like, when you think about it, okay, so I, I started playing when I left school, which is seventeen, turning eighteen. Yeah. And so I played basically two seasons before I made my debut. That's that's forty and that's forty rugby league games only. That's what I mean. Yeah, in my life, pretty yeah. much. Like you can't. I mean, you can if you wanted to count the random ones or twos when I was ten. But I mean, but that's not, not real. No, it's not real. That's 40, 40 rugby league games of a sport to be making my debut, roughly. But I, I didn't appreciate the fact that, like, hmm. mate, you've got 15 years to go in your career. Don't get impatient, you know. And so when it, when it got to, like, 21, 22 and things, a few things didn't go my way, I wasn't patient because I had made my debut. Yeah. I had played NRL for two or three years or whatever. Um, and I kind of felt like, you know, I should be progressing here. I should yeah. be in the Queensland side or I should be whatever it is. And so... Yeah, I was young as man. Like it's it's crazy to think about it now. That's for sure. Like yeah. you know, you look at a nineteen year old making his debut now. Everyone makes a big deal out of it. Whereas for me, I was like, oh, it's, it might be too late. I should have made it when I was eighteen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard you talk about you know Wayne Bennett like after your debut game, kind of shielding you away from the media and things like that. I assume, I assume, I, I don't have any evidence of it. But he's done it before because he did it with Braden Burns this year. Yep. Yeah, and I he's know. done it with other players as well. So yeah. you have to think that it's probably something, a tactic that he probably did. Well, right? yeah. So like I do this debut and, and I actually was a Fox Sports guy that um, told me that he's like, mate, do you know that you ran for the most metres of any debutant in the modern era? Really? 277 metres or 75 or something like that. And 75 gooseys, man. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is a lot of gooseys for one game. Um, it may have changed now, but at the time, like this was a few years ago, he told me. Yeah. And I and and so like I had a uh, like a length of field try or relatively length of the field. I had tackle breaks, no errors, roll yeah. rolls kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, like I didn't get any points in the like three two one <laughs> point system. I didn't really do any interviews. The first thing that happened when I walked off, the media manager said, "You won't be playing NRL next week." And so like at the time, I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess so. Sweet, yep, sweet." When I look back at it now, I'm like, "Surely that's a concerted effort not to let me get ahead of myself." Because like. Usually, mate. It has if to that be. debut happened today, the, fuck, the guy would be on a million bucks the next year. No doubt. <laughs> Far out. So, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe not. But, uh, yeah, I, I think he did make concerted effort to, to, you know. It's a good thing, but I reckon. Oh, I, I totally agree. Absolutely. Like, how many times do we see this, you know, young kids debut? Get way far ahead of themselves. Way too far ahead of themselves and then gets to them. So, no, I mean, and the, the thing is, the next year, 2008, was when I had my best 
every year. 19 so tries. I've got the yeah. stats. 19 tries, I think 24 games or something. Mm. Semi-finals. Yep. Permanent member of the team. Yep. It's huge when you look at it. It's yeah, just it that. Crazy year, man. Because was... like we said before, you're 19 years old. Like mm. when you have a look, like. I would have been 20 that year. You're 32. Mm. I'm 37. Mm. If you have a look, like I've got a few friends that are younger than me as well, but you always kind of pass. I'm sure you're the same. just passing on advice. Mm. You're 20 years old. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's bizarre. Like 20, 20 years old. I was NRL top try score for most a lot of the year. Um, like equaled records with tries and that. And you would have been collecting your own footy card. That's how good you were going. It was just, you know what? I was just confident in everything. Like, like yeah. my weight was right. I wasn't too heavy. Wayne believed in me. That was something that Wayne was really good at. Not putting too much weight on players. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just everything just seemed to happen because I just had a belief in... But the thing is, is it's when you don't realize you have this belief in yourself is that when you you really have a belief in yourself in the sense that mm. you're, not, you're just confident, but you don't realize you're confident. When you realize you're confident, it's like a paradox because you shouldn't, you shouldn't be realizing you're confident. No. You should just be it. You just do it. Yeah, exactly. You and so like, if I'm like, oh man, I'm so confident right now, that's the, the first sign that you're actually not, not confident. confident. I agree. And so in that year, I can look back in hindsight and say, wow, I was so confident in that. But in the time, it wasn't. I was just in this flow. Like, I just played footy and things. I was just, if I thought something, I did it. If I thought something, I did it. And so... It's kind of like what you talked about when you were, you were younger, when you were just going from carnival to carnival and sport to sport without really thinking about it too yeah. much. It's because you're at the top, man. You're yeah. at the top of the game. You're your confidence. You're not thinking about those other three sports. No. No. You're just doing it. Mm. It's the same as like when you're on a streak with some girls. <laughs> yeah. You just... Think you know you don't think that's about never it. To me. That's never happened to me. But I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it's similar. I'm sure, I'm sure it's similar. <laughs> but you just get on a streak and it just happens. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It's um. I think that that's what Wayne is really good at. You look at the the Rabbitohs this year and it's like mm. the they lost the greatest outside back of all time. So that's a mil- not only is he the greatest outside back of all time in my opinion. He's that's a million dollars of their cap. cap straight off. You never heard about that in the media. You never heard, oh, the Rabbitohs aren't going that well. Well, it's kind of understandable because they fucking just lost their and captain. Immortal, and immortal. And immortal outside back, 100%. pretty much. And yet, he, he, he managed to keep... It. Wayne's really good at, like... He wouldn't want that in the media because he knows his players would read it, and that's an excuse. And so, all that kind of stuff he's really good at. And then the Sam Burgess was playing with one shoulder the whole year. Yeah. So, you've got... That's $2 million. Not at you know what I mean. That's fucking like what. But for Sam to do that, like he's literally running through a brick wall for Wayne. Mm. Like he literally couldn't play. Yeah, but he, he was played. Still doing it exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you know he's really good at like you look at even his backline was so many rookies that were playing mm. out of position and they still they got to within if Cody Walker doesn't get the ball stripped by Hodgson they win that game and they're Very in a grand close. final yeah. and they've got two million of their cap not even close to that like one of them doesn't even play the other one is so injured that he makes a small tackle and he can't even move yeah. Um, and I think he missed like at least six or seven games. So, yeah, he's so good at getting guys that aren't necessarily superstars yet, but giving them the belief that they belong at that standard of the yeah. superstars kind of thing. So, yeah. You'd have to think they're a shoe in for Joy Arrow. I mean, look, if he, they're offering the same as what the Titans are offering him, he'd be yeah. crazy not to go. Like, I, I get it. I, I'm from the Gold Coast. I want the Titans mm. to go well. Bloody oath, I want them to go well. But. When you're looking at just from a selfish perspective in the sense of like his career, the opportunities he'll get. I mean, the Titans, we don't even know if they're going to be around in 10 years. Like, yeah, you know, like right. it's, it's... How many opportunities are you going to have left to play under Wayne Bennett? And also, man? contracts are all timing. 
This yeah. a big contract like this in Jai's career may never come around again. You know, he could he could go on and kill it and be the best player in the comp in three years' time, but everyone's salary cap could be tied up in that position. Mm. And so he's got like, all right, we've got to stay at the Titans for the same amount of money or a little bit more or whatever. Yeah. But he's got no chance of winning a premiership. And and like, as I said, I'm from the Gold Coast, so I wish they could turn things around. But when you just look at Jairo and what's best for him, mm. if it's the same amount of money, why wouldn't you go to one of the most prestigious clubs in the NRL and with the longest history? Especially if you're getting 800 grand anyway, mate. It's, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's a bit of a no-brainer. Like, you've you got, you got basically nearly you, the wooden spooners. You're rebuilding. Were they what? wooden spooners last year? Yeah. So you've got Wooden Spooners, you've got Rabbitohs, greatest coach of all time, Cody Walker, top Adam Reynolds. Top four team. Top four side. Cam Murray. Cam Murray, Damian Cook, some good outside backs. Yeah. Like, I just, I think it's almost impossible. Like, I think he'd be crazy, crazy to say, to say no. Because no. it's, like, yeah. it's not like he's getting offered 600K. I mean, again, this is all reports, so we don't fucking know yeah. the media. Um, it's not like he's getting 500K offer from Rabbitohs and a million from the Titans. The Titans have basically offered him less. If you read the reports, the Titans have offered 750K. Yeah. And the Rabbitohs are off from 800k. And what's even crazier is it, now they've got that medical dispensation and there's been no reports that suggest this is happening, but I'm saying it could be a possibility. Yeah. Is that they could also they could get Jai and Latrell in that next two years because they've got the money. Greg Inglis is gone. Sam Burgess is gone. They've got heaps of cash. And the cap's rising too. The cap's rising. Like I know Latrell said he doesn't want to be in Greg Inglis' shadow, but in saying that, the Rabbitohs have a very strong indigenous following. Mm. Can you imagine if Latrell and let's say you dry arrow at the contract negotiation table, they're like, we're probably going to get Latrell. How appealing it is that Latrell, dry arrow, Dane Gagai, Cody Walker, Adam Reynolds, Damian Cook 100%, man. are in the same it's size. An easy sell. Cameron Murray, fucking so. Yep, I think he's off. I think I think unless they unless the reports are completely inaccurate and he's off, offered five hundred k at the Rabbitohs, yeah. If the money's the same, he'd be he'd be. Silly not to go. I, I just think personally, it'd be crazy not to. Especially again, contracts are timing. You yeah. Know, if he, he, this, you only get opportunities at this once in your career. Really. Yeah. Look at Latrell and all the nonsense he has to deal with. The to, the timing is everything. Like so. Talking about timing, because we're at that end of the first Broncos era. Yeah. You know, your timing to go to the, the New Zealand Warriors. Yeah. What made you pick the Warriors? Um. Again, I, th- I think that... So, what made me pick the Warriors, what was the catalyst for the decision, is the Broncos told me that I was a third-string hooker. They said, you'll be playing reserve grade if you're here next year. Why? Who was... Steve Michaels and Darius Boyd, at the time okay. of, ne- of contract negotiations. Yeah. I'd already w- was playing in a role, but I'd, like, I'd only played two or three games, but they are like, we can only offer you minimum, mm. minimum wage, and you'll be playing reserve grade. In my mind, I was like, man, I feel like... And obviously, Darius has gone on to have an incredible career, but at the time, I was like, I feel like I have more to offer than both those guys. We scored 19 tries. Well, this, yes. this negotiation... Was this the year before? before? Well, this was the year that happened. Okay. So, my, my footy was just ramping up to be to be what it was. Yeah. yeah. And so, I was like... And, and I think it was like... What do you mean? Like June or something? It was mid-year. Yeah. So, like, I had to make a decision. I was off contract next year. You know? So, I only had a one-year contract. And I think... And they only offered me a one-year contract. They're like, you'll be in reserve grade and we can only offer one year. This is Ivan Henjak. And I was like, fuck, I can't do that. Like, I want to. I don't care about the money. I just want to play NRL. Like, mm. and so I only, I only signed with the the Warriors for ninety grand Australian. A lot of people don't realize that. They think I went over there for like three hundred grand or whatever. Absolutely not. Like the report. Did you have to pay to like get yourself over and stuff? Um, I 
don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, they were really good with that. The Warriors Club was really good. Yeah. Um, but to uplift your whole life for 90 grand, man. But that was the problem, though. Like, I wasn't experienced in rugby league, so I didn't know the ins and outs of it. I didn't know how hard it was or how hard it had been mm. for Australians to move to New Zealand. I, I didn't know that, you know, when you go over there as an Australian, there is extra pressure on you. If you if you just play average, that's yeah. not good enough. You're an Australian import, import yeah. coming to New Zealand, taking New Zealand players' spot. And so all of these things that you know, and you're not a Polynesian boy, and there's a young, there's plenty of Polynesian wingers out there. Not that to mm. say that, like, but that's their country. So of course they want, like, yeah. the Warriors well, have you support your own exactly. And yeah. the Warriors have this bizarre, I think it's a negative. They're called the New Zealand Warriors, mm. so they have this extra pressure to play New Zealand boys. Whereas like Melbourne, they're just called Melbourne. Doesn't matter where you're from, you yeah. can play for them. So they have this added pressure of having to represent a country. Whole thing, man. But yeah. being an NRL club, which is wrong, because any club that you see in the NRL that wins a premiership has a, a mixture of Indigenous boys, Polynesian boys, yeah. um, Aussie boys, English boys. Any club you see, it's a mixture. And so the the problem with the Warriors is they struggle because they've got the added pressure of like looking after their own. Look at much. even Penrith. <laughs> even Penrith struggle with it for a little a little bit yeah. because they're so ingrained in that area. And if they don't have local juniors, their fans aren't happy. Yeah. And that's a pressure that, as a professional sports club, you don't need to have. You just mm. need to win, however it is. So I feel like the Warriors are in a tough spot because they call the New Zealand Warriors. And if you just call them like Auckland Warriors, again, they, this would never happen. But it, it's, I think they've actually got one of the toughest gigs in the comp. Yeah. Um, because not only do they travel the most by a mile. I saw the actual travel thing. Yeah. The they've got day, that yeah. out of pressure. They have, they have to play quite a lot of people from New Zealand. Like, and, and it's stacking up year by year. They're not achieving. So yeah, it's and becoming, it gets worse and worse, and yeah. then and then a lot of the best New Zealand boys now go to Australia first. So it's not even like it's not even like they get the best of the best just from New Zealand. Like you know what I mean? They don't get the first pick of the best. Melbourne Storm can pull over the best player, and and you know look at the Melbourne Storm; they're the front rowers pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like they've they've got the added pressure of having to play mostly New Zealand players, but they don't even get to choose from New Zealand yeah. players first. Other clubs can get them first. So it's they, it's a tough tough thing, but again, I, I wasn't in the system, so I didn't know how hard it was for Australians to, Australians to go over there. Mm. Um, yeah, just it was just young. I had a lot of stuff going off off the field that, like you know, I just got into a new relationship with a in a toxic relationship. Yeah, all these things a young man I could deal with when I'm at home in Brisbane, yeah. but you add them all together, plus the fact I'm going to a club that has Manu Vatavai as the other winger, so it's not like I'm just uh, you know you've. You talk about balancing a side. You know, Manu Vatavai is their star, he's their finisher. Yep. Everything goes to Manu. Now, if, you're, if you've got a balanced side, you, you select just a battler winger that's going to do hit-ups all fucking day yep. and just get you out of your end. That's, that's what you want for balance. Yep. And, but they chose a finishing winger. Well, you've got a finishing winger on, on the other side that's 80 friggin' two kilos yeah. that's never getting the ball to finish, but you want him to come in and do scoots, which is fair enough. Like, it's my job, whatever. Yeah. But when you talk about balance... There's no that, balance. That's no balance at all. No. Like, you've got this guy, his one main asset, which is finishing, you know, um, broken play, getting the ball on set plays, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. He's not getting it. So, that mixed with, you know, things that just... It just was a cauldron of everything going wrong, including my own responsibility of the things I did wrong off the field. But also, you know, maybe wrong decisions by coaching or whatever. Yeah. But so. it's interesting. You know, we talked about before about being in the deep end and learning the most mm. in that time of adversity, man. And it's funny. I want to talk about kind of transitions away from footy now. Like mm. you had four seasons in the NRL. 
And you, know, you, you spoke about your third season, you got 90 grand. Years before that, you're literally on minimum wage. So when you're retired, people probably think, oh, Kempy's made a million bucks out of this. He'll be right. <laughs> no, you retire with it, nothing. Yeah, it's totally different. Like how, when you got back to Australia and then obviously you left the Broncos eventually, like you came back to Wollongong for a bit, didn't you? Went to the back to the Broncos, made my way back into the side. Yeah. 2010. Scored the match in a round one against the Cowboys, mm. like 75th minute or something like that. That was a really, uh, that was a, one of the most rewarding moments of my entire life. Probably the best moment of my life, sport wise. I know a lot of people say para, and that was incredible, don't get me wrong. But this was very personal to me because, you know, I'd gone to Warriors, it hadn't worked, I'd come back, um, and I'd really proven that, no, no, I, this is who I am. I am a finisher, I am a good NRL player. It's not just like, oh, I'm only in the back line of, you know, Darren Lockyer or whatever, yeah. which does help. Um, and so, yeah, but then in round three, I actually broke my ribs and my lung collapse against the Warriors. That One oh, of them accidentally need me. And that put me out for the season. Yeah. Came back 2011, signed on minimum again. Um, no match payments again. So both 2010, 2011, I was on minimum plus no match payments. So like even when I played in a role, and, they, and that, that's... It was, Crazy, yeah, like so even if I played in a role, I wasn't getting paid well. And I just did that because I was so desperate to stay at the Broncos and be back home. Anyway, so yeah, 2011 rolled around and um, Ivan Henjak got ousted. Anthony Griffin came in. Mm. He had his people that he loved and, you know, he, I guess, wanted to play. And and, and from there, it was there were certain things agreed to that they didn't give me that they agreed to give me. Yeah. And basically just pushed me out of the club. It went to went to Union for a bit, Sevens. Um, I mean, it's a long story, but I got treated pretty poorly towards the end there just mm. to get rid of me. Um, Does that leave a bad taste in your mouth in terms of professional sport? Yeah. Yes, yes, it leaves a bad taste in the sense that I still could have, you know, no matter what they did to be you know, grubby to me or whatever, I still could have been patient and just been like, you know what, whatever. Even though they were telling me to leave, I still could have stayed and gone to another club. But yeah. it, it was a mistake in the sense I shouldn't have been loyal to just that club. I should have gone and got an opportunity at another NRL club, but yeah. I didn't want to play for anyone else because I was so loyal to the Broncos. Anyway, it's whatever. Um and so yeah, went to the sevens for a bit. I just didn't enjoy that because at that time it was you would train by yourself and then like meet up, you know, once a, every few months to do camps. Yeah, okay. And like this is not this is not team sport. This is why I stopped no. doing athletics because it's by yourself. Training's the best bit, man. Yeah, like, being with the boys and that. That's yeah. what I fucking love. And I couldn't be with the boys enough. Um, then I went to the dragons, but by this stage I was so mentally uh, wrecked from all the mm. negative things that had happened in my career because I got stuffed around the Warriors by my manager as well. Um, not by the Warriors, but I'll be clear about that. I got stuffed up by my manager that was yeah. supposed to be getting me out of the Warriors. Um, the Warriors were incredibly good to deal with. They they were actually really good. Mm. Um, yeah, so by that stage, I had so much like baggage and mental damage that off the field, I had just gone completely off the rails at the Dragons. And it got to a point where they just said, God, mate, you need to go home and get your mental health sorted. So I went home for a few months, went mm. back down, and that was it for me. I'd quit. And then um, I was I was still just wrecked from the whole thing because like I had so much potential and achieved so much in such a short time. Yeah. And then the whole my whole career just come crashing down when you know at one stage I was getting talked about Origin and everything like that. So you know I it just damaged me so much because I knew that I could still be I mean I could still be playing NRL today if I had the passion for it, but I just lost all that with all the time. I mean even even Wayne had stuffed me around it's in some con- contract negotiations I still consider him you know so, so grateful for, to him but there was certain, no it just happens in every con- contract yeah. negotiation sign for less and we promise you this and then it comes around they don't give you what it's they professional promise professional sports right yeah. I was I was too young to too young and naive anyway so yeah I quit 
Um, then I got a call from the Broncos like 2000, end of 2012 or like early 2013, like, yeah. oh, look, we need a winger. Do you want to come back? And I was like, fuck, all right, I guess. Sweet, even though you stuffed me around. Did you do well. it? Yeah, went back, put my way back into the, the side. It was one of the best wings at the club at the time. Yeah. And then I was going to make my debut after, like, not my debut, my Your comeback. Comeback. I was yeah, like yeah. 1,100 day, days or something like that. It was like, like one of the longest periods where play, I hadn't played NRL. Got named in the side at number two. Yep, you're playing. Announced it via the media. And, you know, my, all my family knew, all my friends knew. And then Anthony Griffin calls me in the office like two days before the game. He's like, no, we're going to go. Um, Reedy's okay. And he, even though he's supposed to be out for three weeks, Reedy's okay. So sorry, we're not going to play her. And I'm oh, like, oh, God. Oh, what the fuck? And so that was enough to take. I was like, oh, okay, like, I guess. And then he dropped the other winger and put a forward in. So, like, it was me and Maranta that were supposed to be playing. Yeah. Dropped me, said Reedy's sweet to go. Oh, okay, sweet. Then that same day, he drops Maranta as well. So you would assume that, like, if Reedy's sweet, put me on that other wing. Yeah. Brings in a forward um, to play on the wing, Aaron Whitchurch, which he's not a winger, hadn't played winger all year. And Manu Vadavai scores three tries on the wing. Like, cause, and so at that po- when that happened, I was like, I'm done. This is fucking bullshit. Like, I'm not breaking my body for blokes that. That, that this is going to happen kind of thing. Mate, I had him on last week. I would have asked him why. Who? Anthony Griffin? Anthony, yeah. Mate, it, it, you know, he's got his... I'm sure he had his reasons. I, I assume his reasons for that was maybe he saw something in me in that week that, you know, he wasn't happy with, it, whatever. Yeah. Um, and and with the Whitchurch thing, I assume Monday Vatavai's big, Whitchurch was big. Mm. That's what he thought. I don't know. Whatever it was. I, the thing is, with coaching decisions like that, it's just, for, to me, it's like, all right, whatever. That's your coaching decision. You're a coach. that You make that choice. Yeah. Um, at least he told me, straight, like, I mean, he shouldn't have named me, but it's whatever. Like, I don't, that's, that's not the worst thing that's happened in my career, that's for sure. But at that stage, I realized, like, this, what am I doing? Like, I've got so much to offer after footy, mm. and I'm bashing my body for peanuts. I was on, like, 25K. Um, and, uh, and, like, I've worked all this way to get back here, mm. and it just takes one coach's decision. After he'd already made the decision to play me, to change everything, so I, I I can't do this anymore. Where I like, you know, I've just gotten unlucky with maybe coaches. Certain coaches don't, you know, whatever like me or not like me as a person, but as a player or yeah. something. I don't know. Anyway, that was it for me. I was basically, I mean, I stayed there the rest of the year, played reserve grade, but yeah. played terribly. Like I was completely checked out. Honestly, if I should have just rang up that day and said, I'm, I'm retiring, I'm done. But I I didn't have a job, didn't have any money, so I needed to stay to get at least paid for the rest of the year. Yeah, um, even though it was twenty five grand, 20, and I was yeah. living at home with my parents on the Gold Coast, driving up every day. So, um, yeah. So just and also like I was living on the Gold Coast, and they chose Redcliffe for me to play at. So to train, I would have to drive from Mudgebar yeah. to Redcliffe, which is fucking like forty five minutes north of Brisbane. Anyway, it's whatever. But you look back at this now, man, and it must make you smile because of what you've created for yourself outside of football. Because at the end of the day. You know, Channel Nine employs all these all these greats, right? Darren Lockyer, mm. JT, all that. Yep. So they've got a springboard just straight up, as soon as they retire. Yeah, they've got a springboard just to launch something in media. You yep. had to start from scratch, man. Mm. Oh yeah, from zero. I mean, I didn't even have fucking Instagram or Facebook. Nah. So how'd you do it, mate? I just um, I quit and and for about a three years I was doing my electrical apprenticeship and I just I didn't do it because I was passionate about it. I did it because like that's what a man does. He goes and gets a job. Money, right? You have to get feed. You feed yeah, yourself. Well, it's money, but it's also for me. It, it, you obviously have to feed yourself, but like I could have gone and worked a bar or whatever. But for me, it was more like if I'm a man, it doesn't matter if I don't enjoy this job. I, eventually, I've got to have a family and I need to provide for the family. Mm. And so that's all my thinking was like, this is what a man does. Even if you hate your work every day, you just get the fucking job done. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, I hated every single day. Every single day, I'd wake up at 4.30 or whatever it was to the end of my bed and go, I fucking hate this job. Like, there's nothing, in, there's not a single second where I'm sitting there going, this is enjoyable. Yeah. Um, did that for about three years. Did um, about a year into it. Like, I always, even in 2012 when I was playing rugby league, I was like, I've always been into computers and like video games, the mm. internet, internet culture, everything like that, deep into it. Like, yep. before... If people even knew the internet was when I was fucking 10 I was on the internet for hours and hours and hours and so I always knew I wanted to have a show but I just didn't know when you're playing footy you're so consumed in it you don't really you just you just put it to the side because like yeah. footy's what you got to do anyway um, yeah I just podcast became a thing this was like 7, 8 years ago and I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast so what I would do is I was working in an above ground mine in Goulburn I would have mm. got fucking the sack if they knew this but they didn't um it was a huge fucking mine. Yeah. It was so fucking cold there, man. Oh, my God. Apparently, on average, it's the coldest place in the country because of the wind chill factor. Yeah, go, In yeah. Goulburn, it's like in between Wollongong and Canberra. Can I imagine winter as well, man? No, sorry, Maroolan. But we, we stayed in Goulburn. So, we were, yeah, we were wintering there. Yeah. I've got pictures of that, like full balaclavas, like up to there. Like, anyway, so what I would do is I would get my beanie and I would pull it down there and have wireless headphones around there and I would just listen to Joe Rogan all fucking day man like all day just podcast and so I knew that's what I wanted to do but I just knew that you know a lot of people that you know there's this kind of like meme of like follow your dream and yeah. you know, whatever you want to achieve achieve but it's just like such nonsense because you need to like you even look at Joe Rogan like he was famous before he started his podcast you yep. need to know that You've got to have a point of difference, or you've got to have some, something that you offer that isn't being offered, in a sense. You know, like, and that may be the quality of guests you get. That yeah. may be your interview style. That may be it's your point of difference, man. Yeah, a point of difference. And so mine was like, oh look, I would love to do a Joe Rogan type thing. Mm. And at this stage, I was fully off footy. Didn't watch it for years because I was so so off it. Um, but I was like, but that's my point of difference. Like that, I have mates that play footy. I'm an ex NRL player. Yeah, I'd be crazy not to do it. Um, because at the end of the day I think what we love about your show is you can speak to them a little bit differently yeah and you can touch uh, you know you've been through that the system so you know the ups and downs of being yep, an NRL exactly. player and there's just that automatic it's kind of like two journalists when they meet each other there's a respect of you know yeah, what you're doing or whatever and so yeah that, there's always that automatic respect from them because they're like look you, I, what I do know is you're always coming from a place where you respect me because you know what I've been through to get here yeah if, I might not like what you're asking but I also know you're not some blow-in asking from an uninformed place. You're you're asking from a place where you know what I've been through. Yeah, so. 100%. But my, in saying that, my interviews aren't about trying to get anyone. They're all positive. Yeah, so I started the podcast. It took, uh, it took me about a year of procrastinating, planning, you know, put everything on my credit card. Like, the fucking... You took a me. chance in yourself, man. Oh, massive, massive. And my, my whole plan was basically... And it's just coming to fruition now. But the, basically, the plan was like build a platform and launch a business off it. Mm. You know, the, the one of the big things, especially in retail, the biggest expense is your marketing. Yeah, for and, sure. And, and that's the biggest challenge in today's society. Like, unless you're creating a whole new app that is going to change the world, you know, if if you're not first in something, mm. whether it be Facebook, social media, whatever, you your market, your, your exposure needs to be there. So, yeah. for example, like you look at Rihanna, like she's not the first makeup artist. But she has so much exposure that she can break through that noise. Hundred percent. And so it's. And a, then you've got to leverage up too, because I think the biggest strength that you've got, especially with your social media stuff, when you make those videos, like obviously you promote bloke, bloke in the bar as well at the start of the video. Yeah. So they consume that, and they know every single video. You know, it just it's something that resonates with your videos, bloke in the bar. Yeah. It's well, a real I think, bar. It's a I great th- marketing strategy, actually. Well, man. it's just like it's. 
they've been given like the culture existed before the product. So like the product is just like this is here, mm. but you've seen me doing these shows for fucking five years. So it's not like you know, let's say let's say Forex went and spent a million bucks trying to do what I what I do or whatever. Yeah, you would immediately feel that sense of like this is a company. They're trying to buy. You're trying to buy your love. Exactly. Denon's put out. Four years of podcast without yeah. asking. Well, essentially, it's the Gary Vaynerchuk sort of jab, jab yeah, sort well, of pre- strategy. Pretty much, like in a sense, yes and no. Like Gary Vaynerchuk is very like rah rah markety, and I get it. It's a good, it's a great concept. Yeah. But this is more like, and, and most people won't think this deeply into it. But the way I think of it is like, how can we create like so? For example, journalism right now, the, it's motivated by revenue. Yeah, and revenue is motivated by views. Because obviously, the more clicks you get, the more ads, ads you get, and everything like that. Mm. And so, basically, we've got a system set up where the motivating driver is who can get the most views without completely ruining their own reputation. Yeah, pretty much. Because, like, otherwise, you just put up like nonsense stories. But yep. then, if you did that, people just would stop reading because they'd know well, it's your nonsense. reputation shit. Then, whereas, like, how can we create a system where views are not the main? Uh, motivator mm. now subscriptions are really good for that because you know you can subscribe therefore you don't have to worry about getting the most views and they, therefore truth can be the most you know if people say look i want the most honest news ever i know where yeah. to go for that whereas i in my mind i'm like okay how can i create a, a an environment that is self-sufficient so like all right we've got the sports network that exists yeah what do sports network people that, that enjoy sports they all drink beer 90% of them drink beer. They do. So if I can give them a product that they're going to buy anyway, that feeds back into the sports network, mm. they're actually getting a free sports network or a free beer, which either one, whichever it is. Well, they're consuming the beer, which they love, consuming the sports, which and they love. And they're going to buy it anyway. So it's and it helps you continue to grow the Exactly. Show. So it's just a circle. Sports network, beer, and then back into the sports network. Yeah. And so the, the, I always wanted to create something where... Have you ever read Sapiens? It's like basically... That rings a bell. It's a fantastic book. But basically like... You know, we we're so far removed from an exchange. Like when I pay money for something, we think I'm giving you money, and like that's a problem. We don't under- actually understand that we're trading our time for that product. Yeah. And so, like, I wanted to create an environment where they give the they're they're purchasing the beer, but it doesn't feel like a purchase. They're basically saying, "I'll get this beer. I'm going to get anyway," and it's a fair trade because I get all this sports network as well. And so. Like it's like you know, if I have bananas and you have apples, and I need apples and you need bananas, mm. we don't need money to tr- make that transfer. No. I'm giving you something you need, and, and you're something. giving you something that I need. Yeah, and so it's like a fair trade. We both walk away happy. Whereas like there's this kind of like meme that or this like sense that like oh, if I've given you money, I've been ripped off. Mm. No matter how good the product is, you've been given money. Whereas like if we can, if I could create the concept of like not create the concept but go down the concept of like this is a fair trade like you know everything is working together here I know where the money's going well, it's I a, get something it's a give give in the end of the day man yeah and so that was a, the idea with the, the beer and that you know it's not like I'm I'm you know offering a product that they wouldn't buy already so but yeah basically that's what I, I hope to create is, is, is essentially a sports network that is self-sufficient yep that people are getting products they'd buy anyway mm-hmm. that they enjoy anyway um, and then that gets funneled straight back into the sports network. So you support the beer, you get a good sports network. You support the sports network, you get a good beer. It just all works together. So long term, in terms of the sports network, is mm. this something that you're kind of going to set up away from the social medias? And is it going to run kind of, or is it social media always going to be the platform for It'll be it? Purely so- online. So we, we we'll move to YouTube and that. Yeah, but we won't bother. We, are, in my opinion, that's all dead. Like, like what well, I just. 
everything's moving online. Like everything is online. Or you ask any sports network if they're being honest, mm. and they'll be like, "We are losing mon- like numbers drastically." So is it going to be like on a, on a streaming service, kind of like a KO sort of? You log in and oh, you've got your. No, no. Is that kind of we, what you we want to do? Base it all on, like we would just base it all on existing platforms. So all the socials yeah, where you're getting like the reason why people try to keep it on like say a KO or whatever mm. is because they want to control the environment. So whether it be subscription or they want to put ads on it and stuff like that that's the reason why they yeah do it. exactly right but the but if we do it this way we if with with products that we own not that are being sponsored to us hmm. that's how we make the money so we don't need to worry about putting ads on like for example fox sports they direct you to the website because yeah. every time you go to their website they've they got, got ads on it ads, banners ads, all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. whereas if we own the product that we're selling to you hmm. we don't need to do that because the products a in the you know it's in the system yeah it's on like you know we have bloke in a bar it's called bloke in a bar I say you know grab a bloke in a bar if you want and so we didn't need to worry about that small amount of revenue because you actually don't generate that much revenue via ads and also you're so beholden to the companies it's fucked you are, yeah. and so yeah that's why the environment is so good is because we can reach the most people possible there's no friction between you and consuming the content we can stay on Instagram we yeah. can stay on Facebook we can stay on YouTube we don't have to create our own environment that you've got to click out into because we own all the products so it's not like some company coming to us and spending you know a portion of their budget like let's say they sell a, a case of beer for 60 bucks and $10 of that is dedicated to advertising hmm. we get that whole 60 bucks we're not just getting 10 bucks yeah, of their, yeah, their, yeah. their case when you purchase that case it comes straight to us Obviously, there's production and everything that, but you understand what I'm saying? We yeah. have a much larger percentage of the product because we own the product. You are the, the brand, yeah, so exactly. you are the product. And also, like, as we build, you know, let's say you take $100 million and you do this big marketing spend on TV and everything like that, that, that let's say, goes for three months. So, you've got three months, that's of ads. A, no fucking one watches, ad, watches ads anymore yeah. unless it's, like, integrated really well. Yeah. But also, like, once that three months is up, you are, unless you've got brand loyalty from all those people, you essentially lose them. Whereas if you take that same money, put it into creating your Instagram, Facebook, I understand Instagram and Facebook own those platforms, but they have no vested interest in taking your platform away Especially from Especially if you. you're paying them. Exactly. So, so if, you, if you take that same money to build up your Instagram, like put it this way, like I've got, you know, we get up to like 5 million impressions a week hmm. on Instagram alone. Yeah. That's 5 million times people are... Like, I can put a post up to any of those people. Mm. Not 5 million people, but... Impressions. impressions. They're going through yeah. it, yeah. That's just Instagram alone. Like, so, Iron Jack, huge company worth millions or whatever, they can't put a post up and reach hundreds of thousands no. of people. And and every day that I grow that, we continue to own the audience, continue to own the audience. So all and that organic this, growth too. All organic yeah. growth. And that, that audience continues to become a part of our culture, a part of our culture, part of our culture. And so, like... Because on the other flip side, they got to pay to get that that growth. So yep. it's not the same. Just say you were following me for a year. Yeah. If I put something in front of you organically, you're going to consume it. Yeah. But if it's from Iron Jack and you've never seen it before and you've got no loyalty or yep. no brand well, alignment to them, it's about long term thinking. Like, like you can go and spend your fifty million bucks and you'll get those short term brand. You know, oh, the ads are everywhere. Yeah, what a fucking cool ad, rah rah. Whereas if you think the next ten to twenty years. Imagine, let's say Bloke and Bar continues on its trajectory. Yeah. Imagine in 10 years, bro. Like, put it this way. Everyone's saying Goosey at games now. Yeah. Imagine the the amount of people that consume sport that will know Bloke in a Bar in 10 years' time. From exactly. Goosey. From Gooseys, from all the stuff that we do in the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? All the community stuff. Whereas, like... And, and let's say like let's say it's just me working. Let's say we everything stays the same. 
it's just because everything you see is just me. Mm. That costs us zero dollars except for my time. Yeah. Imagine how much money Forex is going to spend in the next 10 years on sponsoring Rugby League 100%. to get that reputation. Probably what, fucking... Millions. Like maybe $100 million yeah, over the next close. 10 years? Yeah. So it's, it's, people aren't seeing the power in this Instagram and social media and, and also like the fact that everyone's on it. doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's on some form of social media and if they're not, their mate is. You know what I mean? So even if you're not on social media, your mate that consumes bloke in a bar, he tells you about the goosey. Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Well, Dan, and I really appreciate you joining me on the show today, man. I swear we should do a part two because the business talk, I find like as much as I love the footy talk yeah. and obviously breaking down people's lives, like at the moment I'm really into, you know, the paths of entrepreneurship and how people have built something yep. away from sports as well. So yeah. we might have to do a part two. Just Mate, if you want. I'm yeah, 100%. A business part two, my man. Business, but well, I'm not an expert in business. This is just me bloody ideas. I'm sure there's some business expert out there that um, thinks differently. But yeah, I think that... Uh, I just enjoy, th- like, I feel like people are very caught up in their idea of something. Yeah. So, like, let's say you got this idea and it's like this enclosed thing. Like, this is my idea right now. Mm. But if you just open that up and say nothing, everything is fluid. There's no boundaries between your ideas. For example, the reaction videos you see. Reaction videos that there's you, on YouTube, they're huge with the kids. Reactions to music. Yeah. But also, me being green screen, that's video games. So, that's like three yeah. different... It's three different things. Rugby league... Have you got a green screen at home? Yeah, it's like a one that like you pull up and yeah, you got put you. down. So, that's yeah. like rugby... So, imagine someone said, okay, I'm going to mix rugby league yeah. analysts with music and video games. But because they've got these constricting ideas of like what rugby league is and how you're supposed to do it, yeah. they don't actually see that there's all these great ideas you can pull together to create something new. And so, for example, reaction videos, like no one in rugby league has done that. Um, first the market which is always great man. yeah but well, but it's, again it's not me it's someone else's idea that I brought across to yeah. to rugby league and so I you feel still like to execute it though that's the same with business as well I feel like if you just if you just realise that nothing is rigid everything is fluid especially with the internet yep. I, think, I feel like there is a lot of opportunity out there so mm. and stay open minded too yeah absolutely alright before I let you go Campy YouTube that's where the locker room the film version of the podcast can be yeah. found <laughs> yep. obviously across all the different Podcast networks, you can find the audio version. Yeah, so it's got the audio version, the podcast. But if you, the best way to consume it, in my opinion, if you want the long form, obviously, then, but the mm. best way to consume, in my opinion, is Instagram and Facebook because every single night you get a different player, five minute snippet of. Yeah, you get story. the highlights. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then also, also Facebook, definitely, as we discussed at the start of the actual show. Yeah, I'm in love with it, Blake in the Bar. Instagram, I might start unfollowing everyone because I don't want to miss the cheese. I don't want to miss bloat. <laughs> I don't want to miss what else is there I wrote them all down I tell you what's really oh the shit chops really got me going on right shit now chop, shit oh, chops great. really oh and the gut I'm going to bust that Friday night while I'm doing Victor Bra yeah, hey, I'll get all the boys you yeah. know I'm going to do a Friday Mate. I'll get all the boys with their glasses on you doing Victor Bra Gutherino. Yeah. And uh, do a goosey. Gotta do a goosey. And do a goosey. Yeah. You gotta do a goosey. Yeah. And we'll send it in to you. Are <laughs> <laughs> we mad? And, and then, then just have a piece of cheese that's right at the end. Just pick a piece of cheese up and be like, that's hectic, but <laughs> that's fucking like mad. And then Instagram, obviously just your personal account down in camp. And then as we mentioned at the top of the show, your bar is located at Broad Beach and you're about to start distributing, yeah? Yeah, so before we opened the bar we had in about forty <laughs> bottles. Yeah. But uh, early two thousand and twenty, so most likely February. Latest would be Around one mar- early March, but mm. most likely mid February, we'll we'll be launching the beer into stores. Imagine you start getting it in the stadiums, man. That would be fucking sick. <laughs> it's too amazing, it's too corrupt, man. Like this fucking Carlton draft and that with the politicians, with the, as if we're going to be able to get it in there. I mean, I, I, I hope. Can I we hope. can we end in you agreeing to call one of the beers Goosey? 
let's put it this way. There's already plans for certain Yes. Don't I'll worry. buy case after case no, after it's, case. It's, uh, there's, we've already got slogans. Every, don't worry. Everything is in, in place for, for uh, some cool stuff coming soon. My man, Kempy. Thanks right. so much. Nice to meet you, mate. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, with Denim Kemp. Definitely do check out The Locker Room. It's a brilliant show on YouTube and also on Apple Podcasts. Definitely give his bar a visit. You know, I think that's that's definitely, he's got the ultimate bar. So definitely check that out. It's in Broad Beach. You just Google pretty much bloke in the bar. His Instagram page is also pretty awesome. So definitely give Denim pl- plenty of support. All right, guys, next week on the show, former Broncos and Penrith Panthers coach Anthony Griffin. He is just like very similar to when Matty Elliott came on the show. Very smart, very insightful. So going to be getting probably even deeper because the, the conversations for a little bit longer. So it was a really, really good one. So definitely check out Hook on the show next week. Please help me continue to um, spread the word about the show. So tell your family and friends. Tag me on any posts on any of the social medias. Pretty much I'm at Talking With TK on my Facebook or my Twitter, or just Tristan Nell on my Instagram. Definitely do get in touch via either email or social media. If you have any guest requests, or just if you want to get in touch and let me know where you're hearing or where you're listening from, and also you know who you support and any any sports or rugby league, definitely get in touch. I'm always up for a yarn. All right, guys. Really hope you enjoyed episode 150. Looking forward to bringing you episode 151 with Hook Anthony Griffin next week and uh, plenty more in store for season four of Talking With TK. I'm Tristan Cannell.